Welcome to the Christchurch Manchester Theology Podcast. The CCM School of Theology meets monthly on Saturday mornings at Luther King House in Manchester. For more information about the training that we offer or about our church in Manchester, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Saturday 5th of December, Andrew Bunt taught two sessions at the Christchurch Manchester School of Theology. This is the second of those sessions, where Andrew looked at the topic of spiritual gifts. Andrew is the assistant pastor at King's Church Hastings and a regular writer and teacher on various theology topics. Let's take a listen to the session. Now we're going to change up it and we're going to start to think about spiritual gifts. I want to start with the question, what are spiritual gifts? And this, I think, is a really important question to ask and a question that Scripture encourages us to ask because, interestingly, Scripture tells us that it's important to be informed about these things. There's this interesting uh, thing in 1 Corinthians, and we're going to look quite a lot at 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 because they are some of the most extended and clearest teaching on spiritual gifts in, in the Bible in the New Testament, certainly. And Paul there says he wants the Corinthians to be informed about these things. He says, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. The reason I find that so interesting and important is as you read through that section of 1 Corinthians, you find that as they are in many ways, the Corinthians are in a mess about these things. And when the Corinthians are in a right mess and really are using and abusing spiritual gifts, Paul's response isn't to say, oh, just give up on them. They're not important. His response actually is to say, these things are so important that even though you're using and abusing them, I want you to be informed about them. I think that's a really helpful challenge for us, why actually it's important for us to be informed about them. So we're first going to ask the question, what are spiritual gifts? And a lot of our answer will come from uh, 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. So I'm just going to read a little bit of 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 11, which is particularly helpful in this question. Now, there are varieties of gift, but the same spirit, and the varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. To another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Even just in those two verses, there's some awful lot in there about what spiritual gifts are. <clears throat> the first key thing is spiritual gifts are empowered actions. You'll notice what we just read, that this is about things that we actually do. They are activities. He calls them gifts, but then he calls them services. He calls them activities. They are about stuff we do. And they are empowered by the Spirit. That's the key marker of them. Paul says it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. He also calls them manifestations of the Spirit. They are kind of outworkings of the spirit in us so they're actions but they're not just actions that we're doing in a sense on our own in our own power they're where the spirit is helping us to take actions and it seems to be there are a broad range of gifts there's this list here in 1 Corinthians 12 there's also a list in Romans 12 and in 1 Peter 4 and what's interesting is the lists aren't the same it doesn't seem to be there's kind of this set group of these are the spiritual gifts and so they're the ones listed all the time it seems to be I think it'd be fair to say that anything which is this kind of spirit empowered action which also meets some of the other qualities and criteria we we'll talk about can be a spiritual gift so i think actually 
as a, quite a broad range of spiritual gifts, maybe more than just those we kind of think of and more than those explicitly mentioned in scripture. The second thing, and another thing which would be then a criteria for is something a spiritual gift, is that they are for the common good. Spiritual gifts are given to us so that we can serve other people. So they're not really about us. They're not about doing us good or us looking good or being impressive and like that. Spiritual gifts are given so that we can serve other people. That's what Paul said in that passage. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. And this passage is talking in the context of the church primarily. Here, Paul is saying they're given for the common good of the church. The gifts are about uh, others, not ourselves. So when we're encouraged as we are, we'll see to seek spiritual gifts. We're encouraged to do that out of love for our neighbour. Actually, part of the uh, adhering to the love command of loving our neighbour is speaking, seeking spiritual gifts so that we can use them for the sake of the common good. And that purpose becomes very important when we think about how spiritual gifts are used. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul focuses in particularly on prophecy and on the gift of uh, languages, the gift of tongues, and how they should be used in corporate church uh, gatherings and settings. And really the key um, kind of criteria or the key uh, uh, point that Paul uses to decide how should these things be used is whether actually their use means they are building people up and being for the common good. He says, let all things be done for building up. So this is a, a key uh, quality and characteristic of a spiritual gift. The next thing is spiritual gifts are distributed by God. He's the one who gives them out to different people and they're given, distributed, given out kind of as he chooses. He gives the gifts he wants to give to different people as he chooses to do so. Paul says, to one is given to the spirit utterance of wisdom, to another utterance of knowledge, to another faith. There's a sense of God giving out different gifts to different people. And in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul goes on to explain we as churches, we need each other and we need all these gifts to work together. And that's where he introduces the uh, kind of picture of the concept of the church as a body. He says in the same way that our human bodies have lots of different parts and all the different parts do different things but they all kind of interrelate. They need each other. You know, you need your legs and your eyes. You need your ears and your stomach. They are very different, but they're performing important roles. And the body works best when all those things are interrelating in the right ways, kind of playing their own part. I think in the body, there's like over seven and a half thousand different parts of our human bodies, which all interrelate and work for us to function well. Now, Paul says that's a helpful picture of how the church should be, because actually we're all different. We're all going to have different gifts because God is going to give us different gifts, but we're all needed for those things to kind of work together. We're meant to partner together. The gifts are meant to interact well so we can kind of serve each other and operate well. That means that I need you to operate in your gifts and I need to operate in my gifts so that we as the body of Christ can operate as we're meant to, can work and flourish and be fruitful as we're meant to be. And a very important thing about this is it means that different people have different gifts. And that is okay. It's not that we're meant to try and collect them all. They're not like um, I don't know, Pokemon cards or whatever, football cards, things that people try and collect the whole set. Actually, we're meant to receive what God gives to us, use that for the benefit of other people, and celebrate and benefit from the fact that other people have different gifts. Paul makes that very explicit in um, 1 Corinthians 12, where he says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? And the obvious answer is no. And actually the format of the Greek explicitly makes it clear the answer is no. 
actually we're not meant to have all of the gifts they're meant to be different ones for different people and that's something very important to bear in mind the next thing spiritual gifts are secondary to love you might be aware that in this uh kind of little section of 1 corinthians 12 through to 14 sandwiched right in the middle is 1 corinthians 13 which we know is that really famous passage about love and we might hear it read at weddings in different kind of contexts but it's really fascinating that the place that Paul gives this definition of what love really is, isn't actually about romance or marriage or anything. Actually, it's about spiritual gifts. It's about the church being together, operating as a body and worshipping God together. The point Paul is making is that these gifts are important. That's why he wants them to be informed, even in light of all the messages that's going on in the Corinthian church in regards to these gifts. But actually, he says that if love doesn't partner with these gifts, if these gifts aren't used in love, then actually they are kind of completely pointless. We've said already these gifts are to be for the common good. They're to serve others. They're meant to be an expression of love. And so that's why he says these things. That if I have this gift, but I don't have love. It's useless. If I have this gift, but I don't have love. It's useless. It's not going to do the job. Love, he says, is the kind of uh, the motivation, I guess, behind using spiritual gifts that we love each other through them. And actually, he says, is in a sense, the more important thing. He observes in chapter 13, spiritual gifts are here for a temporary period of time. When we were in the new creation with Jesus, spiritual gifts would have ceased to be in operation just so they won't be needed. Their time will have passed and no longer be a need for us. But he says love is a thing that will remain. The spiritual gifts are temporary, but love is permanent. And therefore, he's saying love is actually the, the even more important thing. This is kind of really one of the many places that the Bible reminds us that character is more important than gifting. And so actually, it's not about how many gifts we can gain, whether we can collect them all, whether we can be really good at certain spiritual gifts. Actually, the most important thing in Christian maturity, the thing that will last, is actually, are we one who loves? Do we love God? Do we love our neighbor? Do we there kind of fulfill that the greatest commands given to us? And finally, spiritual gifts are to be eagerly desired because they are ways that we can love other people, which is something we're commanded to do, something we want to do. Actually, we are told to actively, eagerly desire, to want these gifts, to pursue them, to kind of go after them and to be active about seeking to receive them and to use them. That's a theme that comes out particularly in uh, chapter 14, also in 12, I think, in 1 Corinthians. And Paul seems to make some sort of distinction in the types of gifts. He explicitly says in chapter 12 that the higher gifts, as he calls them, should be most desired. There are some which are even more to be desired, even more to be kind of pursued in that way. He gives a list in chapter 12, verse 28, which seems to offer some sort of um, hierarchy, I guess, or priority list for, um, for the gifts. And prophecy is quite high in there. And when we get to 1 Corinthians 14, we find why that is. Because it says prophecy builds up the church more easily and in a way that a public bringing of a, of a language, of a tongue, can't do. And so this is kind of linked to this thing of common good. Which gifts most feed into the common good? Which gifts most build people up, most edify and do good to people? They're the ones, he says, that we should actually most be pursuing. And there's, I guess, a balance to be struck here. Obviously, all the spiritual gifts are good because they're, God's gifts, they're given to us uh, for the common good. They're given us as, to us as a blessing as he decides to do. But Paul says also we should be active in desiring and pursuing gifts, especially those of the common good or those that do the most for the common good, because these are a way that we get to love other people. 
So I find Paul's perspective on spiritual gifts here really challenging. I think it kind of turns on its head where we might start. We, I think, uh, speaking personally, it's very easy to think spiritual gifts and think, oh, what is it that I can do? What can I get from myself? Basically, that's a kind of a, uh, a bit of an innate sinful human kind of thing. But actually, Paul's challenge is what gifts can you get so you can serve other people? How can you use these to serve and to love and to, to do good to other people? We're going to pause there for some discussion because the next bit afterwards will be a bit, bit more longer, a bit more, uh, not complicated, but a bit longer. And I just want to give you, we'll take 10 minutes in groups just to talk about what spiritual gifts do you think you have? The Bible says we've all been given spiritual gifts. He gives them out to every believer who uh, is a follower of Jesus and therefore is filled with the spirit. What gifts do you have? What gifts do you desire? If we're told to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, are there some that you don't think you currently have or don't currently use that you'd really love to have? And what are you doing about pursuing that, desiring that gift? And is there anything in what we've talked about here that has challenged or has changed your kind of previous understanding of spiritual gifts? How has this maybe reshaped or caused you to rethink about that spiritual gift? So let's do 10 or 10 minutes, 10 or 11 minutes in our groups uh, to discuss those things. And then we'll come back for the next section. So a little bit more of sharing personally, really, where you've, you're at really with that breakout room rather than just discussing Bible texts. So I hope you found that helpful. Hope you had some good discussions there about where you, where you guys are at with, with spiritual gifts. Great stuff. Okay. So the final big question we're going to ask is spiritual gifts today? Question mark. This remains uh, a significant significant point of disagreement across Christian churches, sometimes a point of division actually across Christian churches as to whether gifts are uh, for today. And I think it's a very worthwhile thing to think about and hopefully it'll become apparent why kind of, as we go through. In reality, the debate isn't actually as big as it sounds. Pretty much all Christians agree that spiritual gifts do continue today. It's just how many of them do. So pretty much everyone agrees that gifts like uh, teaching, leadership, uh, service, generosity, continue today the question really is over what people call the miraculous gifts which kind of prophecy the gift of tongues or languages means the same thing uh healing and the gift of miracles that paul talks about in 1 corinthians 12 which presumably means miracles which aren't healings other types of miracles the question is do they continue today and and really often the touch point of those debates is about prophecy does prophecy continue today <clears throat> so we're going to look at the case for and the case against the case for is what we might call continuationism some kind of big words get your mouth around these and people who are continuationists are sometimes known as charismatics because they believe in the charismata today the charismata is the greek for um, these gifts and then cessationists are those who don't believe that the gifts um, continue today and we're going to start with the case for because often what happens in this debate is people who don't believe the miraculous gifts are for today kind of give their reasons give their positions and those who do believe they're for today then have to kind of respond and uh, defend or um, respond to that. And so often actually the position for is placed rather on the back foot as if the burden of proof lies on those who think they do still continue. If you think the gifts continue today, you've got to really prove that. You need to give evidence because the assumption becomes that they don't. But actually, I think there's a very good case to be made. It should be the opposite. The assumption should be the gifts do continue today. So there's a strong case to be made that they we should expect them to then the burden of proof lies on those who want to say no gifts aren't for today, who want to push back against that. And Andrew Wilson has done a lot of really helpful stuff, and you'll see in the notes and the resources some of his um, writings on this, which are very helpful, actually, for thinking how to make a positive case for whether this should actually be expected today. So three points that help us mean we should expect the gifts today. 
One is a simple point, the New Testament seems to assume that the gifts will continue. We've already seen that Paul commands us to desire the gifts. He commands us to, to use the gifts. Romans 12, 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. He's saying, do it, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. And he goes on with different gifts. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, 31, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 is particularly important in this. Paul says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. He not only says to desire these gifts, he not only commands us to, but actually explicitly says prophecy, which is the most debated one today. And this is really important because these are actually instructions. We are instructed to desire the gifts. We are instructed, commanded to use the gifts. And good Bible reading for us as Christians is that if there's a command in the New Testament, we assume that we should obey it unless there are good reasons to believe we should. Sometimes there are good reasons. You could think of Matthew's gospel where Jesus sends out the 12 and tells them to go only to the lost sheep of Israel, i.e. not to go to Gentiles. We have good reason to think that command doesn't apply for us anymore because of what comes later, because of the Great Commission, because we know actually Jesus' death changes things and opens up the gospel to all people. The question becomes, are there good reasons for thinking that these commands don't apply to us today? I don't think they are. So the burden of proof lies on those who want to say, here's a New Testament command that we shouldn't actually keep today. So the gifts should continue today just because they're commanded in scripture. But then also history shows that the gifts did continue. And this is really important because a common argument from those who think the gifts aren't for today says actually they were for the time of the New Testament or the time before the New Testament was completed, the early church, which to say was a very different point in church history, a very different situation, because the, uh, particularly because the New Testament wasn't yet written and wasn't available to them. And they say when the New Testament ends, the gifts are no longer needed. But actually, historically, that's just very clearly not what happened. We know that these miraculous gifts, prophecy, tongues, different things, continued beyond the time of the writing of the New Testament. Actually, the earliest we find anyone arguing for a cessationist position, for the position that these gifts don't exist, is quite a bit later in the 4th and 5th centuries. And even that actually is only about the gift of languages, the gift of tongues. So for many centuries into the church's history, these gifts were present and were assumed to be for the church even after the New Testament period. So two quick examples. One comes earlier in that period from a guy called Justin Martyr, who was one of the uh, apologists, Greek apologists in the second century. So he's what, 130s? Yes, he's kind of 70 to 50 years after the New Testament. He says, one of his writings, the prophetical gifts, prophecy, remain with us even to the present time. Or we can go much later in this kind of period to Basil the Great, who was a bishop in the fourth century. And he said, the spirit enlightens all, inspires prophecy, is active in gifts of healing, gives life to the dead. He clearly believed that even in his time in the fourth century, prophecy, healing, raising people from the dead was still happening, spiritual gifts still being present and still being used. So it's just not true that the gifts ended at the end of the New Testament period. So any position on this has to, has to wrestle with the fact that the gifts definitely continued for several centuries after the New Testament period. They did then, it seems, die out or get neglected, maybe we could say, but there is that time after the New Testament, they're there. We've got to kind of wrestle with that. And for the case four, that implies that they are for beyond the New Testament period. And the other thing that's helpful in the case four is the simple fact that the New Testament actually tells us when the gifts will end. And it's not at the end of the New Testament period. It's not in the fourth, fifth or sixth centuries. Actually, it's at the end of this age, when Jesus returns, when the new creation comes. 
that comes in that passage uh, in 1 Corinthians 13 that we've talked about, about uh, the gifts and using the gifts with love and stuff. And Paul there talks about the fact that prophecy and languages, these types of gifts, will pass away, his phrase is, when the perfect comes. And occasionally people have tried to argue that the perfect is the completion of the New Testament. That's not really something we can convincingly argue. No serious scholars really going to think that's the case these days, partly because of what else is said of the perfect. The perfect is said to be when we say God, we see God face to face. The New Testament is great, but the New Testament isn't seeing God face to face. Actually, that point is the end of this age, the coming of Jesus, the coming of the new creation. Paul says these gifts will continue. They'll pass away at that point, but that point hasn't yet come. We should expect that for the duration of the church age, the spiritual gifts, these miraculous gifts are available to us. So there's a very strong case to be made that we should expect spiritual gifts to be present and available to us today, and we should be seeking to use them, desiring them, as Paul says, in the church. Why is it then that some people take a different position, this cessationist position which says the gifts aren't for today? There are lots of things we could say here. There are many different uh, arguments put forward, different kind of uh, ways of arguing for this position. I've picked out, I think, three which are I think, probably the most prominent and most common and most important to think about. A common objection is that scripture is sufficient for God to communicate with us. That the the uh, miraculous gift, especially prophecy, isn't needed because God's spoken to us in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And then we've got the New Testament, these gifts aren't needed. And particularly often the view is that um, spiritual gifts today would challenge the authority of the New Testament of the Bible. Of course, one of the problems here is, as we said, we know that the New Testament, the gifts didn't end with the coming of the New Testament. The New Testament was finished by the end of the first century. We know that the gifts continued at least to the fourth, fifth, sixth centuries in quite kind of common use. It's therefore hard to argue this from a kind of historical basis. It's also the case that people like Paul uh, and James, who commanded us to um, use these gifts and request these gifts from God, had a very high view of Scripture. They didn't seem to see a tension between the spiritual gifts, including prophecy and scripture and a high view of scripture, the authority and sufficiency of scripture. I don't think it's a necessary fact that these gifts undermine the sufficiency of scripture. The idea that scripture tells us um, what we need to know. And really, this is a poor argument. This isn't really an argument. This is actually a statement of a cessationist position. It doesn't really give any reasoning for it. It just says this is the position. So it's not actually a very strong case at all. Another argument, probably the one which is um, probably most used, and I guess the strongest argument and one that would be presented by good scholars like Thomas Schreiner, who's a very well-respected New Testament scholar, is the idea that prophecy is always foundational and infallible. So prophecy is always given as a foundational thing for the people of God, and it's infallible, which means it's without error. It is always completely uh, correct. And because of that, this view says prophecy was reserved for the apostles as they were getting the church going and for others in the early church, because it was that period of foundation laying and it was about the writing of the New Testament and before the New Testament came. The problem here is in the Bible, there's very clear evidence in both the Old Testament and the New Testament that not all prophecy is foundational and not all prophecy is infallible. Actually, prophecy is a much kind of broader thing, a broader phenomenon than that. Just a few quick examples. One comes from uh, Numbers 11. Numbers 11 is that story where Moses is appointing elders to help him and support him in uh, leading the people. He's kind of having a, a new layer of leadership under him to help him in there. 
And a load of them, uh, these, pe- these men uh, nominated for that task, go out of the camp to Moses at the tent of meeting, and this spirit falls on them. But two of the guys who were picked didn't actually go out of the camp. They're just going about their business, I presume, in the camp. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit falls on them. And they, we're told, starts to prophesy. And the people in Joshua are quite worried about this. But Moses' response is really interesting. Moses says, would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. So Moses has no problem with all these people being prophets, which is instructive for one, because were they all really speaking infallible foundational words? Seems probably unlikely. But what's most striking is Moses wants everyone to be a prophet. And the reason is he wants the Lord to put his spirit on them. He associates being a prophet with the spirit being on them. And in the Old Testament particularly, being a prophet in this kind of way, so not so much the prophets we were talking about earlier, but a prophet here seems to be someone just who has the spirit of God on them, which seems to inspire particularly wise sayings and praise and worship. It seems various things we see in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, sorry. The New Testament also implies that prophecy is not just about foundational infallible stuff. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 3, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement and consolation. Prophecy upbuilds, it consoles, it encourages. It's not just about foundational infallible messages. Or uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 31, you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. There's learning that takes place. There's encouragement. This isn't just about foundational authoritative kind of stuff. It is, of course, true that there were uh, foundational uh, uh, prophets who brought foundational messages in the New Testament period. And Paul talks about that in Ephesians. And that's where this viewpoint kind of gets its thoughts from. But it's very hard to make the case that that's the only type of prophecy that is in the Bible or that's um, envisaged in the New Testament. Therefore, there isn't a kind of conflict between the idea of the New Testament being foundational, infallible, authoritative for us, and there still being prophets today. And the final particularly common argument that's made on this side of the debate is that the gifts claimed today and the gifts people uh, claim to kind of moving and see in action today are very different in type from those in the New Testament. So people kind of say, well, this isn't those gifts, actually. That's not really what's going on. That's particularly said of two of the gifts. It's particularly said of the gift of languages or of tongues. In the New Testament, it's observed that gift was about evangelism in a sense. It was about people being inspired to speak and proclaim the gospel in languages they didn't know through kind of human learning, but they were in human languages, which other people heard and responded to. And that is what happens in Acts 2. When the Holy Spirit falls on the people at Pentecost in Acts 2, they go around proclaiming what God has done in languages they don't understand. Because it's Pentecost, there are people from all over the world who have come for the Pilgrim Festival and they hear them speaking in their language. And they're like, how are these people proclaiming this stuff in our language? That is what happens in Acts 2. The problem with this argument is when you get to 1 Corinthians 14, the gift is clearly something very different. It doesn't seem to be a gift of a foreign language for evangelistic purposes. It does seem to be the kind of prayer language, as we might call it, that modern charismatics talk about and uh, seek to, to kind of pray in. We see that because in 1 Corinthians 14, these languages needing interpretation. So we can understand them in the church context and we can say amen to the prayers. We see that because actually they're not a, uh, an act of evangelism. Actually, Paul identifies them as an act of judgment or a sign of judgment. There's a confusing, often confusing um, quote from Isaiah in 1 Corinthians 14. And the point he's making is in the same way Isaiah was told he would speak to the people and it would be like they're hearing in a foreign tongue as an act of judgment against them. They wouldn't understand and respond to the words. Actually, tongues as messages that can't be understood by unbelievers actually are a sign of judgment. They're a sign that God is there 
but actually they're not able to understand what God says. And that's part of why Paul says we need interpretations, part of why he says we should seek prophecy more than languages in our meetings together. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 14 strongly implies that this is Godward prayer when, um, when we're speaking languages or tongues. That the, the direction is Godward, it's about praise, it's about extolling God. And Paul says this, uh, this gift of tongues is worth using when you're alone. Because he's so big on this fact that these gifts are meant to build up the church, it's actually without an interpretation, it doesn't build up a church, you're better just doing it on your own. And he says he's really glad he speaks in tongues more than any of them, which presumably is something he does on his own. Now, if this is an evangelistic language, why would you bother doing that on your own? This must be something different. So his argument is right that there's different types of the gift of languages, but it's not true to say it's not like what we have today, or people say we have today, is not what's in the New Testament. We also get people challenging this on the, on the topic of miracles and healings. People say, well, the miracles we see in the New Testament are just of a, a, a bigger scale, a, a completely different magnitude to those claimed today. Therefore, actually, what we're seeing today isn't really the New Testament gift of miracles. But of course, the reality is there are plenty of things which the New Testament church, if we're perfectly honest, were an awful lot better at than we are evangelism is just one of them very few of us see the kind of numbers of people coming to christ after our evangelistic sermons as the apostles did and the early church did but we don't therefore go well evangelism isn't for today because actually we're not seeing the same kind of scale of these things or fruit of these things i just don't think it's really a fair uh, argument to make and i think it's interesting to think to think about the fact there are many many documented cases of miracles now there's a guy called craig keener who a very big commentary in the book of Acts. He's a New Testament scholar. And to accompany that, he started collecting stories of modern day miracles, which are like the ones in Acts, which originally was going to be the footnotes in this commentary. And he actually ended up collecting so many stories that that itself became another huge fat volume of kind of you know, verified miracles that happened today. So there are miracles happening all over the world, incredible things, some which are not unlike in a sense we see in the New Testament today anyway. As I said, there are many other kind of arguments that this cessationist position puts forward, and you can look in the uh, notes for kind of some uh, outlines of those and responses to those, but these are the kind of key ones. You'll be able to hear from the way I'm presenting this even that I strongly kind of fall on the side of, I think these gifts are for today. I think there's a, a very strong case to be made, um, not just in response to the objections, but a strong case to be made from the scripture we should expect them to be. That scripture tells us they are, and that we, uh, there are commands for us to obey. And that's why I think this is so important. What really strikes me about this is actually spiritual gifts aren't there as a kind of take it or leave it thing. They're not there for those who want to live a bit more on the edge. They're not there for those who want to um, follow a certain church movement. They're actually commanded in scripture. We are commanded to pursue and desire the gifts. We're commanded to use the gifts. Uh, I was challenged even for myself in preparing this. This is an obedience issue. Do I pursue and desire the gifts and do I seek to move in them and use them to bless other people? I also think they're kind of, I guess, they're things that are given for the good of us and others. And there's the kind of thing you think, why wouldn't you seek these gifts? These gifts are for the good of the church, the building up of the church for the common good. They are a gracious gift of God to us to do us good. I just kind of always feel, why would we reject them? Why would we turn them away, actually? How wonderful that God wants to gift us and wants to use us to bless others through those gifts. What a wonderful opportunity. I think that's a reason they're very important. And then a, a slightly more in-house thing for those of us who are uh, part of CCM, maybe part of New Frontiers, and I carry strongly, is previous generations who kind of founded our family churches have literally fought to reclaim the place of spiritual gifts in the church today. Kind of 50 plus years ago, 
and the established churches in this nation, spiritual gifts were not really, or these miraculous gifts were not really in evidence, were not really used, were not pursued, and were often not allowed. And the guys who broke off from established churches to start churches, one of the reasons they did that was to have a place where they could be obedient to these biblical commands of pursuing the gifts of moving a prophecy in tongues and different things. And for many of them, that was costly. My mum left an established church, joined the New Frontiers Church we're in here now in Bexhill and Hastings. And her parents thought she joined a cult. They were really worried. And people in the existing church kind of ostracized her because she was doing that. And I carry, as the next generation, I wasn't there then, I carry this kind of quite burden of we as a, a next and continuing generations mustn't lose what other people actually counted a big cost to reclaim. They wanted us to have and enjoy these good gifts that God has for us. And they fought for that. They paid a price for that. And I'll be heartbroken if my generation and beyond are those who kind of give up on them again. So I think one of the reasons they're important for us, Jess, is we should value what other people have done to allow us to have and use and pursue these gifts today. And so should be kind of active in doing them. So hopefully there's lots of information here, but also there's a challenge. I felt just really challenged um, preparing this, especially at the moment when actually just in our various complications of gathered church, it's harder, let's be honest, to move in some of these spiritual gifts. I felt challenged to think afresh of actually where's what gifted me? How can I use that? And that might be a, a good challenge for all of us to kind of take away today. We can pause there and we've got a good bit of time for Q&A. So anything that people do want to bring up on this uh, topic of spiritual gifts, any kind of element of it, please do uh, go for it and I'll see if I can bring any wisdom to the matter. I'm going to I'm going to kick off with a, with a question, Andrew. Um, yeah, I just so uh, what happens? What do you think about people who are perhaps? Um, oh, that's my son. This is not a good time to ask a question. He's having a scream. Um, people who actually aren't cessationists, so they, they do believe the gifts are for today, but they're they're kind of so they're open to them, but they're perhaps just cautious and don't really want to You know, they're what you call open but cautious. What, what do you think about people maybe in that boat? Yeah, I can see. I can totally understand why people are in that position because so sadly, um, gifts have often been used and abused, have been handled badly in different kind of ways, and so. I think we need to be sensitive to that as well, actually. Some people are being hurt in church context with this. So I can kind of see it. And I think we want to we want to use the gifts wisely. You know, Paul doesn't just say use the gifts. One Corinthians 14 is a whole chapter on how to use them rightly and well. So I think what I'd want to do is I want to be sensitive to and acknowledging of, of reasons for caution uh, and that there's some wisdom in that, but actually then bring a gentle encouragement that actually our response to that should be to be wise in how we use them, which means to look to scripture to see to use them in line with scripture but not to kind of throw the whole thing out of that and i think just to encourage you but it's a shame if we miss out because of our caution um and maybe to go as far as to say yeah this is a challenge for someone like me you do see things in the bible um old testament new testament which we would probably in our sunday gatherings be a bit uncomfortable with we just think these are a bit wacky you know we, we look at the old testament prophets and the things the old testament prophets bit do well, all of us would have said, you are crazy. What on earth are you doing? But actually God had asked them to do it. And, you know, I, I've been, so I've been in a church meeting I was hosting and a lady asked to bring a prophetic word where she was going to take some pots and pans and walk around the building, banging these pots and pans while shouting the prophetic word. Everything in me said, this feels very um, British. And I'm very middle-class British and kind of reserved. This feels very weird. But I thought, but I trust this woman has a close relationship with Jesus. I trust that she hears the voice of God and I want the church to hear what God is saying. 
And even though this is going to seem slightly wacky and not quite <laughs> how I would do things, if it's what God's saying we need, it's what we need. And actually, it, she brought in a really helpful challenge and a call, call to action in us, a call to action to us from it. So sometimes it's good to be pushed out of our comfort zone, I guess, while being wise and adhering to Scripture's parameters for these things. And there was a question in the chat. Um, it popped up. Is the gift of tongues everyone? This is a great question because I think often it's being implied that it is. Personally, I find it very hard to justify that from scripture. Um, Paul, I said in Corinthians 12, has that list, you know, are all apostles, are all teachers, all this. And he literally says in that, are all, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? And the very form of his question implies the answer is no. So Paul seemed to think, does everyone speak in tongues? No. The slight caveat I'll give is, because Paul then in 1 Corinthians 14 seems to talk about, does talk about the gift of tongues, something which does us as an individual good. He says speaking in tongues, in a kind of private personal context, builds us up. And because of what we know about the heart of God, I, I suspect, may I go that far, that God will be willing to give the gift to any of us who desire it and seek it because he's a good gift giver. He's a, a father who loves to uh, respond to our prayers. And I, from what I know, the heart of God, I feel like he wants to give us that gift if it does us good. But also I don't want to overpromise. So I am very nervous. So some um, Pentecostal circles particularly have kind of had the gift of tongues as the marker of being filled with the Spirit. I think we can't say that um, based on what the New Testament says, because the New Testament is very clear that not everyone has all the gifts. There's no one gift that everyone should expect by default to have. So a, a nuanced no, mm, the Bible doesn't say we can all have the gift of tongues, but also I wonder if God might be so good that we could all if we wanted it. <laughs> Great. Any other questions? Hi. Um, so you might have already answered this in a way, but obviously we know today that spiritual gifts can be abused. Um, I think sometimes the cessationists have a good um, thing, thing to point at sometimes in terms of saying, well, look at what's going on over here. How, and I just found your story about the pots and pans really interesting because how do we sort of not, obviously quench what the spirit is doing but at the same time that i know i know i've been in meetings where everything's just been not recently andy brownley uh, <laughs> i've been in meetings where everything has just got whipped up to some sort of emotional fever pitch and there is stuff that i look back on now and go mm, maybe not mm -hmm. like how how do we earnestly seek the gifts not want to quench the spirit but also actually keep things biblical really yeah really good because i think it's yeah it's not easy <laughs> and there are huge <laughs> risks in it i think <clears throat> i think various things i think the bible does give us really helpful parameters um so in one Corinthians 14 paul talks to the prophets about it, the importance of things being kept orderly one person speaking at a time really practical things like one person speak at a time you have one or two prophecies at once and then others i think he implies other prophets so that some people interpret it, elders in the church should should weigh that and respond to that and kind of lead people in response to that. The prophecy always weigh against scripture. Scripture is the unmoving, is the infallible word of God. So we're kind of measuring it um, against that. I think also that, I think that thing of the gifts being for the common good is really important. I, I wonder if sometimes the kind of bad use of gifts is because we get into, I guess we get into a desire of wanting an experience. And I think one of my worries about the charismatic world at the moment is we're very big on experience even i 
I may have said this here before, you might a bit of a rant about this. I have this, I'm uncomfortable with the way we talk about the presence of God all the time. The presence of God in scripture is where God is. You go into God's presence, his throne room. The spirit of God is the one who comes with us and dwells with us and is in our midst as we worship. And the spirit of God is a person. The presence of God is a place. We often use it as if it's a thing. We talk of the presence of God being with us, if it's a thing that can be with us. That's not possible. The spirit of God is with us. And I think about the spirit of God being with us and him moving amongst us, him speaking to us, him uh, challenging us, him inspiring us in praise and worship and such like, is a better way of thinking things than we want to encounter the presence of God in this kind of experiential thing we must fear. And I worry that that, that, that way of thinking of things can lead us to this kind of, we're looking for the experience. And so you do get into this almost kind of frenzied thing. Actually, it's the person, the Holy Spirit is with us, speaking to us, uh, helping us, equipping us. I just wonder if that very framework uh, changes what we're expecting of, of particularly gathered corporate worship with the spirit at work. And if that gives some some shape and I think ultimately it is elders I think strong leadership and elders and you know people the person who's in the meeting but particularly I think an elder who's in the room is the person who should most be responsible for discerning what is going on and how do we rightly um steward what the spirit is doing I guess a bit of a bunch of random musings there but hopefully some helpful in that any any more I've got an easy question for you, Andrew. Uh, someone has asked what church you go to because they've got a friend in Hastings who's looking for a church. Oh, nice. Uh, I go to King's Church, uh, Hastings and Bexhill, we call ourselves, or King's Church 1066 because we are 1066 countries in William uh, the Conqueror. So kings1066.org is the um, web address. That's Thank the you. right answer. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I like that kind of question. I can answer that one easily. Uh, that's good. <laughs> Anybody else got any other questions? Anything want to throw out, or else we'll we'll wrap it up. We got time for maybe one one more. Um, I do have a question. I do have a question actually. Yep. Um, I think in my case, it's more to do with um, it's more to do with the gift of healing, and it's like um, versus uh, versus like say the medical option, the, the the medical options offered by the secular world out there. It's like uh, what would you say is a more balanced approach to this? Because from my experience in the past, I've seen people who have refused um, secular options to uh, secular options waiting for um, spiritual healing and have uh, died as a result of that. Well, gosh, yeah. I think it's helpful to take a, a holistic view of healing. Um, again, Andrew Wilson's very helpful from this. There are three, so healing being the restoration to health, there are three uh, types or forms. There's, uh, there can be miraculous healings, what we tend to think of, which is kind of the, the instantaneous uh, against, against the odds or against what would naturally happen kind of healing, which I think what Paul is talking about was the gift of healing. There can be, in a sense, natural healing in the way, in two ways. One is that God has um, created our bodies in such a wonderful way that they can heal themselves. So we get injured, a bone breaks, and it fixes. We get cut, all that kind of stuff. And also in the fact that God has given us as humanity um understanding to discover science and medicine that can help us so there's natural healing given by god through the creative world i guess then also there's there's what i call eschatological healing actually for those of us who are in christ who are god's people all of our ailments and stuff will be there's ultimate healing will come in the new creation so it's helpful to remember those those three things and all of them are right and good and i think we shouldn't reject the natural healing so the ways that god is giving healing through the natural world both through our bodies and science and medicine mm. in the thought that spiritual or supernatural healing is somehow better than that actually i mean by all means if uh by all means we should seek 
supernatural healing, miraculous healing, because it brings wonderful glory to God, because sometimes it means healing will come quick, all that kind of stuff. Mm. But actually, that doesn't mean it's uh, all that, that natural healing is any less kind of, kind of valuable. And so I think I would always build the kind of line of we seek good medical advice, we take good medical treatment where if it's appropriate and ethical to do so, we also pray for healing, we keep praying for healing, but actually it's both, both and. I see no contradiction, there's no lack of faith in taking kind of uh, natural medicine and stuff like that. And both, should, both, should work hand in, both should work hand in hand then. Absolutely, I think so, yeah. yeah. Okay, all right, brilliant. No, thank you so much. Great. Uh, thank you so much, Andrew, for um, being with us this morning. We can have a virtual clap. Um, yeah, we can we can do that. Uh, um, yeah, it's been great. There we go. Some people are doing real claps on screen. Some people are doing like the little kind of yeah emoji Since clap. Hand claps. Yeah. Yeah, just the options on Zoom here are just endless. You know, you can have a, a muted clap, you can have a non-muted clap, you can have an emoji clap, you can, yeah, there's just, oh, right. And some people are doing all three at once, which is awesome. And we can also kind of kind of clap in the chat as well or say thanks anyway. Yeah, so um, lots of uh, people saying thank you for this. Uh, it's been really helpful, Andrew. Um, someone has just asked about some of the resources you mentioned. I think there's, a, there's one or two times, Andrew, you mentioned, or Andrew Wilson's uh, mentioned this. If, what I'll ask Andrew to do is, Andrew will just, I'm going to ask him to just send me those links to those resources. And yeah. then when I send out the email next week, I can send those links as well. I'll also send the links to those two videos. I've copied and pasted them from the chat that Andrew uh, put in about the profits as well. And we'll send out the recording of this session as well. Just all the things worth... I've mentioned, all the endorsements, it's all in the, all the notes I sent through. So the oh, resource section, yeah. So everything is there um, in footnotes, all the references. Perfect. All okay, that's great. Um, yeah, and also just to mention that um, for, a, for a number of you, um, this is the end of your second year of School of Theology. So for a number of you, we're actually saying goodbye forever uh, from School of Theology. Well, uh, you know, we may see you around sometime, but like this... This is the end, you know, for some of you. This is, you know, we're done this really. So um, if that's you, uh, I mean, I just want to say thank you so much for being with us these last two years. I know the second year or the, the second half of the second year has been a lot different um, to, to, to meeting in person. Thank you so much for, for sticking with it and engaging with it. Um, so, yeah, it's been, been really good to have you. I'll, um, I'll be sending out some stuff next week for those who are, who are who finished. Um, but, yeah, thank you again for, for being with us. It's been so good to have you. For everyone else who this is kind of your first year and you're kind of being like, right, I've done the Old Testament. I'm looking forward to doing the New Testament next year. For you, our next session will be on the 23rd of January. Um, which is going to be looking at John and the Trinity. So that'll be 23rd of January, Saturday, 23rd of January. We'll be on Zoom again. Um, we'll just keep it on Zoom for now, but it'll be um, John and the Tr Trinity on the 23rd of January. So look forward to seeing uh, you, you then. Um, also, if you are finishing this year, and you know what, you're just bored on the 23rd of January, and you think, you know what, I'll just do it again. Also, you're very welcome to. That's fine. My mum is on here today. She just fancy joining school of theology so so she is there she is she's gives a wave mom yeah so uh she's she's there so um yeah so if you do know of friends family members people you think i you know would be up for coming along very welcome to, to give them a shout it's obviously so much easier to do this when we're on zoom because you can be anywhere in the country and you can you can log in um so yeah that's that's also an option so i'm just gonna i'm just gonna pray 
and then uh, then we're going to finish and uh, and, uh, and go our separate ways. Lord, thank you, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the the great stuff we've we've learned uh, and taken in about uh, the prophetic books of the Old Testament. How you spoke through these people to your people, um, all kinds of different messages and uh, messages of judgment and um, messages of life and hope and. Um, Lord, we just thank you for that. And Lord, thank you that you, you still speak through your people today. Lord, you still work. You still act, Lord, through your people today. We thank you for that. Lord, we thank you that you've saved us. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you've assured us of a future with you um, forever, Lord, after this life ends. Lord, thank you for the hope that we have in you. I just pray for us all as we as we leave Zoom and have some real life time, not behind a screen, um, that you'll bless our day. Bless our day as the Lord. Um, yeah, we ask this in your name. Amen. 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 Amen, everyone. Thank you again. Amen. So much. Hello? Did someone say Amen. something? <laughs> someone did. Oh, right. Someone's saying goodbye and they're not muted. Okay, great. Um, Thank you, everyone. And um, see those of you who are still with us next year. Thanks again to Andrew and God bless you all.